was I came on the last night. To, the kids are dismissed. I, I came to the last night of EBS, and uh, Patty introduced me as a senior pastor, and she said, this is Pastor Woody's first night here at VBS on the last night. And a couple of six-year-old girls I've never met before in my life turned around and started letting me have it. They were going, why weren't you here earlier? You know, why? You're the senior pastor. What did you have to do that was more important than this? And, and you know, and they just kept, I just... Finally, I went, leave me alone. It's uh, nothing. Uh, never mind. <laughs> the, uh, I'm preaching today on, on giving. Uh, the, the staff and the uh, church board and the finance committee believe I do not preach enough on giving. And so I decided since today would be a low crowd, I would preach on giving and uh, so I'm reading from Luke chapter 35, verses 35 through 38. I mean, Luke chapter 6, verses 35. There's not 35 chapters in Luke. It says this, But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Today's topic is about stewardship and God's provision. These verses I just read are some of the most misinterpreted verses in Scripture. One misinterpretation is that if you want God to meet your needs or love you better, you had better give. You're giving with a gun up beside your head. Let me make one thing straight. We don't have to give in order to get God to love us more or save us better or meet our deepest needs. He died on a cross for us while we were yet sinners, when, while we were yet his enemies, he loved us totally then, and he loves us totally now. He cares beyond our ability to even comprehend it. And he has been generous with us all along, Jesus taught, whether we have been generous or not. Remember, he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. The fact is, is that we, that we are here today because God has been merciful because our most basic needs have already been met, because of the goodness of the Lord, not because we earned anything. Our giving has nothing to do with earning a relationship with God. Earning our, 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 our giving has nothing to do with earning salvation. Our giving has nothing to do with earning God's blessings. All of that is free. It is a gift, period. Another misinterpretation of the verses on giving that I just read is that if you give God one dollar, he'll multiply the dollars back to you. We invest with God in term, in, for the same reason we invest in the stock market or mutual funds or money markets. We give simply so we can get more. And that more is defined in terms of material possessions. In other words, some people teach that you give so you can make a profit. God blesses us in order to raise our standard of living, in order to make our life easy for us and our families. 
In other words, we, if we give, God will bless us with more material wealth here and now in order solely to make us happy. That misses a lot of what these verses are saying. Look at the context. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The rewards Jesus is talking about in these verses, first and foremost, are relational, not material. Although they can include the material. And I'll say more about that later. But don't miss what Jesus is trying to show us. He is inviting us to risk for his kingdom. He is inviting us to love through money and time and efforts. And for some of us, that'll be different. You know, when he talks about giving, it's not just money. For some people here, the gift of your time is more valuable than the gift of your money. For some people here, the gifts you bring could not begin to be paid for by money. This is not solely a money thing. To give the best of what he's entrusted with, though, is what he's invited us to because we are his stewards. He's causing us, calling us to use what God has given to us like Jesus did. And another misinterpretation of this verse, too, is that it is reduced to a simple formula. If you do A and B, God will do C. This is not about formulas. Jesus was the most unformulaic person that ever walked the earth. It's hard to pin him down like that. Christ is talking about an attitude, a condition of the soul, a way of living that is opposite of the world's. Our world says it's what you own that makes a life. Jesus says it's what you give that makes a life. The world says it's what you keep that makes you wealthy. Jesus says it's what you share in love that makes you wealthy. Great living depends on great giving as a way of life, not as some occasional spasm. Because great giving means we are in tune with the heart of our loving and generous God. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be generous. He's generous with the ungrateful and wicked. And when we give, Jesus said, greater blessings than what we will give will come our way, including at times material things. But what does Jesus mean then by this? Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. What does that mean then? I think there are at least three blessings we should look for when we give to God's work and God's ministry and to bless the world. And the first blessing is this. When we give with the right attitude and heart, God will give us more to give. Did you notice I did not say, God will give us more to keep? God delights in meeting our needs. And the fact is he, is, he gives us more than we need all the time. Does Everybody here has more than what they need. He is generous. But much of what he gives us, he means for us to reinvest back into his kingdom and back into human lives. Randy Alcorn said that, suppose you have something important you want to get to someone who needs it. You wrap it up and hand it over to the FedEx guy. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, he took it home, opened it, and kept it for himself? That would be a lousy FedEx guy, don't you think? It would be defeating the purpose of his job and why he is here. In fact, he would be a thief. The packages don't belong to him. He's just the middleman. He is the steward. His job is to get things from me to the person I want them handed off to. 
So much of the time, we don't get it. We are God's FedEx people. The packages aren't ours. We get to keep some. In fact, we get to keep an inordinate amount of the packages. God is good, but we're still stewards. There are packages often that we keep that are not addressed to us. They were meant to be passed on. There's a bunch of packages that aren't supposed to be at our house. We don't own the packages. They're not put in our hands primarily for our pleasure. God blesses us to bless others. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. In every way, not just material. So that, Paul says, so that what? So that we can be generous on every occasion. God gives to us so that we can give more. God gives to us so that we can be generous like he is generous. And when we live like that, God will entrust more and more of his packages into our hands. God doesn't bless us just so we'll be blessed, although that's part of it. He blesses us in order to bless others. He blesses us in order to build the kingdom. He blesses us in order to save souls. He blesses us in order to feed the hungry. He blesses us so that the packages don't stop at our house. The second blessing God gives generous givers is the blessing of multiplication. Jesus said that if we will that if we will come and give, what we give will come back to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In other words, we're going to get more coming back at us than we sent out. uh, James Moore tells a story I really love. Some of you may remember it. But he said that some years ago there was a little boy who came from a poor family. And one summer, though he was very young, he took a job as a door-to-door salesman to help make money for his family. One afternoon, he was so hungry, he had been working all day, he hadn't had anything to eat, and he only had a dime in his pocket, and he was desperate. He decided he would ask for a meal at the next stranger's house when he knocked on the door. However, when he got to the door, he lost his nerve when a lovely young woman opened the door. Instead of asking for what he really wanted, which was a meal and some food, he asked for a drink of water. The young woman took took one look at him and took pity and compassion on him. And although she did not have much, she invited him in, and she had just finished a batch of cookies. She gave him four large cookies and a large glass of milk. He gobbled it down, and he said to her, this kid said, how much do I owe you? You don't owe me anything, she said. Mother taught us long ago to never accept pay for a kindness. He said, then thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. As young Howard Kelly, that was his name, as young Howard Kelly left that house, he not only felt stronger physically, but he said his faith in God and his love for people were made strong again in that moment. He had been so discouraged that he had been ready to give up on everything. Isn't it amazing? I don't know about you, how often God 
uses small gifts at exactly the right time to change lives. I can't tell you how many times in my life when I've been really discouraged, one of you called me. And it was a good thing. <laughs> or I got a note from, or an email, or a card, or something. And right when I was struggling, suddenly I knew I heard from God through you. It is amazing what two low, you know, two, five, two fish and five, five, it's amazing what little stuff can do. <laughs> I'm going to need some encouragement after that. Years later, this kind woman who had given this boy four cookies and a glass of milk, became critically ill. The local doctors were baffled, so they sent her to a large medical center in a nearby large city. Medical specialists were brought in to study her case, which was rare. And one of the doctors was Dr. Howard Kelly, who left her house that day. When he heard that the patient was from his small hometown, he went down to the room to see if he might recognize her. He realized at once that this was the woman who had been so kind to him so many years ago. He recognized her, but she did not recognize him. He immediately volunteered to take her case, and after a long struggle, the battle was won. Her life was saved. She was so thankful but she wondered how in the world she would ever pay such a huge medical bill. Dr. Kelly came to her room to tell her goodbye on the day that she was being dismissed. After a brief visit, he handed her a white envelope. It was the bill. With trembling hands, she opened it. She looked at the bottom line. She blinked and blinked, thinking she wasn't seeing correctly, and then the tears started to flow. She couldn't believe her eyes. It read, amount owed by the patient, zero dollars and zero cents. She looked up at Dr. Howard Kelly, and she said, I don't understand. And he said, read the P.S. on the bill. She read it aloud. A beautiful young woman taught me years ago to never accept payment for a kindness. But if you need a bill for your records, here it is. Paid in full with four large cookies and a glass of milk. You mean she said you were that little boy? Yes, he said. And you saw that I needed help that afternoon. You saw how hungry I was and your kindness restored my faith in God and in people. And that small gesture is why I'm standing here today. That, my friends, is quite a return on an investment, don't you think? That is taking something and giving it, and it comes back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You can't outgive God, can you? Jesus said that what you measure out will be measured out to you by God. It was God's say, way of saying, you do reap what you sow. It is a law. It's a law as real as me standing here. If we are gracious, we will receive grace back multiplied, Jesus said. If we forgive, we will be forgiven of more than what we ever forgave. If we love, then love will come back around, pressed down, multiplied. I'm sure that woman in the story never thought four cookies and a glass of milk would help 
take care of a massive medical bill. That is multiplication. Just remember that what you give out will come right back at you in multiplied forms. That's what Jesus said. What you send out will come back at you harder. What are you sending out? Whether we like it or not, for good or ill, we're setting off chain reactions into this world and into eternity. Whether it's a chain reaction of hate or judgment or unforgiveness or chain reactions of grace and love, our lives set them off and they're coming back at us. Whether it's a chain reaction of sin or chain reaction of grace, we will reap a harvest, Paul says, of what we're sowing. The question for every one of this, us this morning is, what are you sowing? If you took a look in the mirror, are you going, yeah, what I'm giving out is what I want coming back? Is that, what do you want coming back your way? Because what goes around does come around. When what's coming back will be multiplied, think about it. The third blessing God gives generous persons is treasure that is eternal and relational. The best treasures will never be material although God delights to meet our material needs. The best treasures will be our relationships in the spirit, will be our good works that touch people for the kingdom. In the second century, St. Lawrence, a deacon in the early church and treasurer for the church, was brought before the magistrates of the city in order to hand over all the church's valuables to Rome. To refuse meant certain death. Lawrence asked for eight days to gather everything they asked for together and then to present them to the emperor's representatives. On that day, Lawrence appeared before the emperor's representatives. They were looking for stacks of gold and coins and silver and maybe art and stuff. They didn't see any of that stuff. Instead, there was this motley crew standing before the representatives of Rome. And they said, what is this? And Lawrence said, these are the orphans that were adopted by the church. These are the poor that are being helped by the grace of God. These are the lame that we give ourselves to. These are the widows in distress that our God told us to minister to and have been touched by God's grace. And then pointing to this whole crowd of people, he said... These are the treasures of the church. And for that reply, Lawrence was sentenced to death and roasted over burning coals. It's why he's called St. Lawrence today. Lawrence reflected the heart of Jesus. Do you know why we won't take gold from this world to heaven with us as wealth? Because in heaven, they pave the streets with the stuff. Gold is the asphalt of heaven. It's just gravel up there. The real wealth in the kingdom is God and his people. That's why earth's currencies are worthless there. Think about it. Imagine spending eternity with someone you led to the Lord. Imagine the love, the gratitude, the joy when they say, I was lost, you helped Jesus find me. I'm here in part because you obeyed the Lord. I can't thank you enough. 
Imagine seeing how your prayers change the lives of people. We don't know now. There's no way we can tell what prayer does now, but in that day we will. I want to tell you something. I get excited just thinking about that. All the things we're going to really celebrate. And it won't be how much was in our bank account. That's some of your treasure, the treasure you're storing. And that's just the start. Because the greatest treasure will be Jesus Christ himself. I believe our capacity to enjoy God there starts here. Our capacity to receive love and joy and enjoy God comes to some degree from our hearts being expanded now. Because you see, there are ways of living that bring blessing and there are ways that don't according to Jesus. There are ways of living that expand your souls and there are ways of living that shrink them. Is your soul getting bigger or smaller? F, as the Westminster Confession says, the chief end of humanity is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. We should be doing all we can to enlarge our hearts now to receive not only what's coming now, but what's really coming later. Giving, especially sacrificially, enlarges us. When Jesus says, when you give, what will be given to you will come back, pressed down, shaken, running over, into your lap, into your, into your bosom, into your chest. He refers to the robe they were Back, they wore back then being stuffed full above the waist. They, they, they wore robes and there was a sash around here and they used everything above as a great big storage compartment, as a, as, as a you know, a pocketbook or a, a whatever, you know. <laughs> and what Jesus is saying is, you know, what's coming will fill that up. And when it gets filled up, it gets bigger and bigger, and the capacity to hold gets larger and larger. You stuff that thing through, and it goes out, and you stuff it. You know, I, I was talking, and one guy told me after the first service, he said, I, I am trying to reduce what is above my waist, not, but I told him for a certain amount of money, I would not mention his name. Uh, we're going out to lunch, honey. Anyway, uh, it, Christ's way, what Christ was saying is, when you give and keep on giving, God will give back more stuff. And your robe will expand. Your heart will expand. Your pockets will be able to hold more. If you give, your heart capacity will be enlarged. God wants to expand our hearts in order to pour himself into them. God wants to melt us with his love. He's not stingy about it at all. He wants to stuff us with his joy. He wants to give us so much of himself that, that we can hardly stand it. Now, and more importantly then, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And one of the ways we do that is we enlarge this now. Again, bl giving blesses us now and enlarges us for eternity. Years ago, there was a small tribe of Native Americans living in the state of Mississippi. They lived along the bank of a very swift and dangerous river. The current was so strong that if somebody accidentally fell in, they would likely be swept away to their death. Then one day, this tribe was attacked by another tribe. They found themselves literally with their backs up against the treacherous river. They were greatly outnumbered, 
their only chance to, for escape was to cross the current, which would mean death for the children, death for the elderly, death for the weak, death for the ill, death for the injured, and likely many of the strong to boot. The leaders of the tribe thought and talked. The logical thing, the reasonable thing, the expedient thing, the sensible thing was to leave the weak ones behind. They were going to be killed anyway. Why risk losing the strong in a futile effort to save the weak? This was the rational answer. But they couldn't do it. Love would not let them do it. Instead, they chose to be extravagant in their generosity. And they decided that those who were strong would pick up the weaker ones and put them on their shoulders. And then they would cross the river. So the little children, the elderly, those who were ill or wounded, were carried on the backs of the stronger tribe members as they waded into the current. With great fear, they waded out into the rapid waters of the river. And there they were met with the surprise of their life. To their astonishment, they discovered that the weight on their shoulders enabled them to keep their footing through the swift current and make it safely to the other side. Their generosity saved them. What they thought was the unreasonable thing to do was exactly the right thing to do. In helping save other lives, they saved their own. In giving, they got back far more than they dreamed. Giving, you see, Jesus' way is counterintuitive. You think giving leaves you with less, but the opposite happens. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. It happens all the time. How does giving help save us? Giving helps save us from drowning in our own egos. It helps save us from drowning in our own selfishness. It helps save us from collapsing on ourselves, from being seduced by an incredibly materialistic world. Giving doesn't just help. It's not just that it helps others. It helps save us. Alcorn said when God provides more money, we often think this is a blessing. Well, yes, it is a blessing. But Alcorn said this, and I, 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 it stopped me in my tracks. He said, when God blesses us, it's not just a blessing. It's a test. So often, the more we make, the less percentage we give. That is true. That is true. That is why in Jesus' eyes, it is often the poor who gives far more than anybody else percentage-wise. Again, too often we keep too many of the packages so often we fail our tests. The irony is that, is that when you give more, you get more. It is only as we greedily grasp and hold on to our stuff, our talents, our time, that we in the end end up with nothing that counts. What Jesus is really inviting us to, brothers and sisters, is to go after real wealth. Real wealth. Jack Hayford, said, Jack Hayford said it was one of the most exciting possibility moments in his young life. And he said, I gagged like a maggot. That is, my emotions were so excited, they jammed and virtually immobilized my thoughts. He said it was Thanksgiving Day. 
I'll explain gagging like a maggot later. It was Thanksgiving Day. I want you to pay attention, not go, what, where did that come from? And along with other guests and, a fa and family, he said, at thanks that Thanksgiving, my Aunt Margaret arrived. She was a woman of a rather queenly disposition, gracious and loving, but born along on something of an air of royalty, dignified and noble. Her husband, who had died some years before, had been the mayor of a small Midwestern city where they had lived for years, and something of being first lady never quite left her. She was wonderful. And this Thanksgiving, he said, wonderful was about to reach whole new levels. He said, Aunt Margaret got me and my two sisters in the corner of the living room, and she made an offer that I will never forget. Children, she said with grandiosity, it's Thanksgiving, and I want you to tell me everything you can, as long a list as you wish, everything for which you feel thankful today, and for every single thing you are able to think of, I'm going to give you 50 cents. Hafer said, I want to, you to pause with me and evaluate this moment. He said, not only is 50 cents still a significant sum of money for, for kids at our age at that time, but he said in terms of the relative value of the U.S. currency when the offer was made, this was real money. Aunt Margaret was a fairly well-to-do woman, and she was not offering peanuts. In the values of the 1940s, we would be looking at something Today would be some, somewhere between 5 and $10 a pop for everything you could mention you're grateful for. He said, I'm talking big money. He said, there I stood on the brink of eternal wealth. My economic senses set my emotional juices pumping at a rate sufficient to skyrocket my mind to hyperspace proportions. He said, Fort Knox had walked into the house. And he said, and I froze. I absolutely couldn't think. I fumbled, I sputtered, I struggled with such gargantuan possibilities. And he said, I managed to come up with four things. Mama, Papa, the family, the house. Today, he said, I can think of a mega million things. He said it's a sad commentary on anyone's imagination regardless of age. He said, I could have started with Aunt Margaret herself. And he said, if I'd had any brains at all, he said, I could have said, I am thankful for my ten fingers and I'm thankful for my ten toes. He said, that was ten bucks right there. And then I could have been thankful for my sister's ten fingers and ten toes and their two eyes and their two ears, two legs and two feet. He said, I couldn't think. By the way, I thought about that too. You know, you know what I'd have been thankful for? I would have been thankful for the 50 cents I just got. And every time she gave me one, I'd say, I'm grateful for the 50 cents more, please. You can go on for infinity like that. He said, uh, I ended getting a measly two bucks with Fort Knox standing in front of me. He said, it was an unforgettable day of missed opportunity. Brothers and sisters, 
Jesus does not want to miss our chance, our unforgettable opportunity. Jesus said, look at all you have to be grateful for. And if you are grateful for it, would you be generous? And when you are generous, I will give you true wealth. Just show me that you get what I'm trying to say. Show me you're ready to reflect my heart into the world. Show me you understand that the key to real wealth is giving. The key to real treasure is generosity. And I will bless you. Full measure. Pressed down. Running over. I will give so you can give more. I will expand your heart and your soul. And I will fill it with my spirit. I will fill it with me. And I will use you in wonderful ways beyond your abilities. Or or the amount you give. I will multiply it. I will multiply it. Just like with the widow's might. I will do things with through you that will shock you. And so Jesus is looking at all of us today. And he is saying, don't just stand there. Don't go, uh, uh, uh. Me and mine, mom, dad, house, family, me and mine. He is saying, do not take a measly $2 and be satisfied. Take me up on my offer and see what I will do. You see, one of the great myths out there is that God wants you poor. You know, and so you need to go off to a monastery and take a vow of poverty. I'm here to tell you, God wants you rich. But it's not necessarily material things I cannot sit here and tell you if you serve the Lord you get to live in a mansion or you get a Lamborghini although I'm still hoping and I and I'm you know or or you know you get the you get what you want you don't get what you want you get what oh I'm sorry I'm at the Republican National Convention you know never mind uh, <laughs> When Donald Trump came out to speak, they were playing, you don't always get what you want, and they, people thought it was his vice president. Never mind. The, uh, but God wants to give you real wealth. He wants you to take compassion risks for the kingdom. He wants you to store up in heaven treasure that moths or rust or robbers can't get at. He wants to give you In this world, right here, right now, relationships that melt your heart. Friends that you can always count on. Brothers and sisters in Christ who will always be there for you and pray for you, encourage you. He wants to give you incredible wealth now. And what's to come will be greater. Will you take him up on it? Will you take him up on it? I was going to say in the first service, God wants you filthy rich. I can't say. He wants you clean rich with the real wealth. Give, brothers and sisters, because you can't outgive God. God will make sure his faithful stewards get their needs met and so, so much more pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into us. And so I invite you to accept life on Jesus' terms. I invite you to real wealth. I invite you to live life and take the risks Jesus said to take. And if you do it, you will be wealthy with things that are eternal. Here in this world. Not just in heaven. In this world. 
So I repeat the words of Jesus as I conclude this sermon one more time. Do you believe Jesus? Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I like that sermon. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I was after. What I'm, I'd like the, Randy to come and lead us in a final song. I'm sure he's picked one that goes along with this sermon perfectly. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'd like the intercessors to come forward, and, and we will pray for you about anything. And before we sing, I'd like to pray. Lord Jesus, help us to believe you. The world tells us this is how to live. You tell us a totally different way to live. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust that what really matters is not matter that what really is true wealth cannot be put into a bank and get three-tenths of one percent interest. What a lousy deal. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to seek true wealth. Speak to us, touch us about what packages we should pass on. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?